Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 19. Franklin Bennett swam out of slumber, immediately consumed with a raging restlessness and an unstoppable urge to do something. Something he could not articulate. Not yet. But the nameless compulsion drove him to action. He flung away the bed sheets. He was in a hospital room. His glasses lay on a nightstand. He reached for them, as was his habit upon awakening, and paused. His vision, without the spectacles, was hawk sharp. He could clearly discern even a speck of dirt on the far wall. He pursed his lips, confused. What is happening? I'm a patient here, it seems. How long have I been asleep? Days? Weeks? I cannot recall. Most important, why am I here? I cannot remember. Perhaps he could remember, if he exerted the mental effort, but it didn't seem worth the trouble. He was a prisoner to the urge that he could not elucidate. Satisfying the need was the only endeavor worthy of his attention. He rose into a sitting position. The overstuffed chair beside the bed was empty, but Ruby had been sitting there only a short while ago. He smelled her lingering feminine scent. Smelled her? What an odd way to determine his wife's whereabouts. It doesn't matter. I have to find Ruby. I have to get my hands on her. She has what I need. I do not know what it is, but she has it in abundance. He bounded out of the bed, with an agility that he had not known since he was a teenager. His gown billowed around him. He had to get out of this foolish get-up, after he had found Ruby. Across the room, a young woman arose out of her bed. He did not know who she was, and he didn't care. She did not possess anything of interest to him, and she seemed equally uninterested in him. He heard footsteps shuffling along the corridor. Slow, tired steps. As the footsteps neared the room, Ruby's scent grew stronger. Quick as a bat, he hid behind the door. He shot his roommate a stern glance, warning her not to interfere, though he sensed that she was enslaved to a need that matched his own. Ruby trudged inside. She saw his empty bed and gasped. 
A mug emanating the pungent aroma of cinnamon apple tea dropped out of her hands and crashed against a tile. My wife has what I need, and I must have it now. Franklin blocked the doorway. Ruby spun around. Franklin? Sugar, what's wrong? Fear and worry flashed in her big eyes. But Franklin was less concerned about her eyes and fascinated with the tender flesh of her neck. He heard her pulse throbbing. The rapid pounding thundered in his head like a bass drum. Come to me, love. He gripped her shoulders. Ruby opened her mouth, perhaps to scream, but only a high-pitched whine squeaked out of her. I'm going to do something awful to my wife, my lover, my lifelong companion, my best friend. But I cannot help it. God help me. I cannot resist. She has what I need and I absolutely must have it now. He pulled his wife into his strong arms, bowed his head, and pierced her neck with his unexpectedly sharp teeth. Ruby batted her hands against him, but as his fangs sank deeper, she sighed and leaned against his chest willingly, as though she accepted that it was inevitable and appropriate that she should be the first to give him what he needed. The only thing in the universe that would satisfy his intense craving, the substance that flooded his mouth like a warm, tangy cider and filled him with orgasmic pleasure blood. Vicky Queen smiled at Junior. Hey, sweetie. Her hair had fallen across her left eye, and she brushed it away with a light motion that, for some reason, made Junior's heart throb. Vicky had always been able to do that to him. She affected him in ways that he didn't understand. But she wasn't the same old Vicky. Her eyes were red and wild. Something about her smile made him pause, too. When her grin spread wider, he realized what it was. Her teeth were wickedly sharp. With teeth like that, she could snap a drumstick in half with a single bite, or tear into a man's throat and suck his blood. She's a vampire, you dummy, a voice in the back of his mind warned. Vampires have fangs. Get out of there. Were you checking on me, Junior? Vicky said. Her long eyelashes fluttered. That was sweet of you. You've always been so sweet to me. I just wanted to make sure you were all right, he said. He sidestepped away from the bed. Guess I'll be going now. I'll tell the nurse you're up and about. She can come and get you whatever you need. Vicky yanked away the sheet, revealing the rest of her body. She wore only the gown, and the thin material ended at her upper thighs. Her shapely, smooth legs gleamed in the lamplight like polished bronze. I need you, Junior. You need me, too. But, Junior stuttered, his hand grasped a locket on his chest. Mama, please give me some strength. Come here, Junior, Vicky said. Lie on the bed with me. Let me kiss that muscular, chocolate body of yours. Let me bring your fantasies to life. A vivid image flared in Junior's head, something he was surprised that he could think of. Him lying on that bed and Vicky Queen sitting on top of him, her firm breast jiggling, his hand squeezing her fine hips. Vicky's alluring eyes were hypnotic. He had taken a step towards her bed when his attention was diverted by a scream outside the room. This time, it was not the wind. It was a human scream, a sound of horror and pain. Junior snapped to alertness. What was he doing going to Vicky's bed? She was going to do something bad to him. Vicky hissed, 
Her eyes narrowed to red darts. Junior ran to the door. He didn't dare look behind him and get caught in Vicky's spell again. In the hallway, he dashed past rooms. He glanced in Doc Bennett's room and saw something terrifying. Doc Bennett was standing and had cradled Miss Bennett in his arms as if she had passed out in a faint. He turned and looked at Junior, and blood streamed down Doc Bennett's chin. His red lips formed a smile that chilled Junior to the marrow. Doc Bennett's a vampire. Vicky Queen's a vampire. I bet everyone back here has turned into a vampire. He was afraid to check on the other people and confirm his idea. He concentrated, instead, on getting out of there. The exit out of quarantine seemed to be a hundred miles away. Up there, a female nurse strained to open the doors. She had bright red bike marks on her pale neck. She must have been the one who had screamed. I got it, miss, Junior said. He pulled open the double doors, and the woman stumbled through. Junior risked a look over his shoulder. Patients poured into the hallway, like wild animals released from cages. Inhuman hunger burned in their crimson eyes. They hissed and spat. Their long fangs gleamed like needles. God, all of them had become vampires. Outside quarantine, the patrol team members looked frightened and bewildered. Junior snatched the ring of keys off the desk to lock the doors. Don't just stand there, Junior shouted. Let's keep them from getting out. Then the lights went dead. David and the remaining members of their special team arrived at the police station. There, the storm had knocked out the power. The backup team used candles to illuminate the office. The people sat in a circle, as though they were performing a seance. King, sitting near the doorway, wagged his tail when he saw David. David was glad to see the mutt was okay. The team immediately slammed him and Chief Jackson with questions. Where's Ben? We've been getting calls that the power's out all over town. What should we do? Where's Bertha? We heard lightnings knocked out a bunch of trees. The roads out of town are blocked with them. How can we get out of here? Listen, David held up his hand. Please, calm down. We'll get to your questions. First of all, is everyone here? Where are the boys, Jalil and Poke? Gone, man, a guy wearing a basketball jersey said. They didn't want to stay. You're kidding me, Jackson said. You let my boy leave? We couldn't stop him, the guy said. Jackson cursed and threw his hat against the wall. He stormed around the room, fist bunched on his waist. David was concerned about the kids, but he had to move on. He told the group a condensed version of what happened at Jubilee. None of them questioned the reality of what David and his group had seen. They were beyond doubts. The world of nightmares had become real. On the way here, we saw the strong winds and lightning, David said. But we had no idea the trees are blocking the main roads to lead out of here, or that the power has been knocked out everywhere. Somehow, I don't think that's an accident. The vampires are setting us up for an attack. Diallo? Naya said. Jesus, if he's powerful enough to cause a storm... I know, I know, David said. We've got to find him. We have to assume that he's finally on the prowl out there. He motioned to the window, and everyone peered fearfully at the glass, as though expecting a monster to bust inside. 
Once we find Diallo and put him away for good, this madness will be over. I don't even know what this vampire cat looks like, the man in the basketball jersey said. How are we supposed to take him out? You'll know who he is if you see him, David said. He's not like you and me, remember. If you see either Diallo or his son, you'll know it. Trust me, I expect him to show up on our radar at any second. A frantic voice crackled from the team's two-way radio. At the hospital, the patients in quarantine were on the move, and all of them were vampires. Franklin, David thought. Dread rippled through him. Please, God, don't let me be the one who does it. Don't let me be the one. When the lights went out at the hospital, everyone panicked, except Junior. Already holding the key in his hand, he calmly found the keyhole, slipped the key inside, and latched the quarantine doors. But he didn't think they were safe yet. He probably could have busted down those doors himself if he were angry enough. And there were close to 20 people on the other side who were furious about being pinned in quarantine. No, they ain't people, Junior reminded himself. Not anymore they ain't. A nurse turned on a flashlight and shunned the beam at the door. The vampires pressed their ghastly faces against the square windows. They bared their sharp teeth, hissing. People screamed. Fear weakened Junior's knees, too. But he couldn't give up. This was a time for him to be brave. The creatures beat their fists against the door. Junior braced his hands against the heavy door. We've got to block it with something, he said. His arm muscles felt like they were about to rip. Ron and Maria pushed the table across the hall, and Junior moved aside so they could lever the table against the door. Another man, Dwayne, grabbed a desk, and Junior helped him lift it and stack it on top of the table. The vampires roared, hammered the doors harder. That ain't gonna do. It ain't gonna hold him back long, Junior said. Already, the desk rocked. What else can we do, Ron said, his eyes frantic. We gotta get ready to fight him, Junior said. We can't let them get out of here, or they going to get everybody else in town. Give me a bomb. Maria slapped a bottle, which they called a Molotov cocktail, in the junior's hand. A dry rag dangled from the tip. He fished a cigarette lighter out of his pocket. In front of him, the barricade trembled. Ron and Maria each gripped a bottle bomb. Dwayne had the gun, cocked and ready. They had retreated far enough from the doorway so that when the barrier crashed... They will be out of harm's way. The nurse who held the flashlight was several feet behind them, her terrified face slick with sweat. Blood-curdling sounds came from the vampires, cries and moans of hunger and aching needs. Junior wanted to clap his hands over his ears. He wanted to run away. He looked behind him. The corridor was as dark as a tunnel. The only light came from the lightning that flashed through the windows. The makeshift barrier clattered. The desk teetered, tumbled off the table, and crashed to the floor. Get ready, Dwayne said. He aimed the gun. Beside Junior, Maria recited a prayer. Junior tightened his hold on the makeshift bomb. His thumb itched on the Bic lighter. The table finally flipped over. The quarantine doors exploded open. The vampires stampeded outside like a herd of enraged bulls, moving fast. Oh man, Junior could not believe how fast they were. As soon as Dwayne squeezed off a booming shot, hitting one of the monsters in the stomach, 
Another vampire jumped through the air and tackled the man, knocking him flat on his back. The vampire plunged his teeth into his neck. Dwayne screamed. Junior was paralyzed. We ain't got a chance against them. There's too many, and they're too fast and strong. Ron and Maria lit their bombs, flung them in the general direction of the vampires, and ran. The bottle shattered on contact with the floor. A wall of flames whooshed in the air. Some of the vampires caught fire and wailed in agony. The others scuttled away, frightened. The fire alone rang into life. The showers came on, spraying cold water everywhere. No, Junior thought. It's going to put out the fire. Already, the water was pounding the flames into submission. Watching the dying fire cautiously, the vampires began to come forward. I better run before they get their nerve back, Junior thought. He took off. His boots clapped across the wet floor. He ran past closets and darkened rooms. He wondered what would happen to the other, regular patients at the hospital. He didn't see any of the medical staff. Had all of them run away too? Far ahead of him, Maria and Ron were in the lobby. Hurry up, Junior, Maria said. We're getting out of here. I'm coming. Ron and Maria vanished through the exit doors. Junior heard the vampires behind him, feet slapping against the wet tile, hissing, hungry for his blood. Don't you dare look behind you, Junior. He finally came to the lobby. He was about to push through the glass doors when he saw Ron and Maria. They were sprawled on the sidewalk outside. A pack of demon dogs swarmed over their bodies, like lions feeding on felled deer. Those mutts that could turn you into a vampire with a bite. The dogs had been waiting for someone to run outside. He saw more dogs out there, hunched over people in blue medical uniforms. Then, Junior saw the man in black, the one from the cave. The guy strolled across the parking lot, towards the building. Dogs flanked him, like servants accompanying a king. No one who ran out there would escape, period. Drenched with water that continued to pour from the showers, Junior scrambled past the abandoned front desk in the lobby. There was another, shorter hallway behind the desk. At the end of the hall, he saw an exit sign above a door, the blood-red letters glowing in the gloom. The vampire shrieks reverberated in the corridors. They weren't far behind. He reached the exit, whammed open the door with his shoulder, and found himself in a pitch-black stairwell. He thumbed the Bic lighter and held it high, like a torch. It didn't give him much light, but he saw the door at the bottom of the dozen or so stairs. Keeping the lighter held high and clutching the bottle bomb in his other hand, he navigated down the steps. His knees trembled so badly he was certain that he would fall and roll down the stairs, maybe breaking his neck in the tumble. But he made it to the bottom without stumbling. He pushed the door open. A duo of slavering pit bulls awaited him in the alley. They rose from their haunches and came after him, snarling, foam sprang from their lips. Frantic, Junior stepped inside and pulled the door shut. The dog scraped against the door, growling. Junior leaned against the wall. His heart pounded so hard that the hammering seemed to transmit itself to the bricks behind him, making the walls throb in unison with his heart. He wanted to find another way to escape. But he wondered if it would be worth a try. 
It was like these vampires had thought of all the ways to get out. Even if he jumped out of a window, they would probably be waiting for him on the ground below. At the top of the stairs, the door switched open. Junior stood rigid. Feather-like footsteps came inside the stairwell. Then the door was shut, closing out the chaotic sounds of a besieged hospital. Junior held his breath. He would have to peek around the corner to see who was up there. But in his heart, he knew who it was. I can smell you down there, Junior, Vicky Queen said. You got that nice, manly scent that I've always liked. Her sultry voice somehow managed to frighten and excite him at the same time. Vicky's bare feet began to tap down the stairs. I know you've never been with a woman, she said. I want to be your first, honey. You've waited so long, been holding out for that special woman. That special woman's me, Junior. Tears pushed down Junior's cheeks. Sniffling, he flicked on the cigarette lighter again, holding it aloft. Vicky came around the corner, into the light. Her face was both beautiful and terrifying to Junior, both alien and painfully familiar. I want to give myself to you after all these years, she said. I want you to give yourself to me, too. We'll spend the rest of our lives together. We'll never die. Don't you want that for us, sweetie? She stepped closer. Shaking his head, his face wet with tears, Junior raised the bottle bomb. Please, Lord, please, Mama, forgive me for doing this. Rage twisted in Vicky's face. Junior, you put that thing away, you hear me? You put her away right now. I've always loved you, Miss Queen, Junior said. Please forgive me. He lit the fuse. Vicky screeched. Junior rushed towards her and embraced her. The bomb exploded in a brilliant orb of flames, taking them away together. Jackson caught Hunter as everyone was rushing out of the station to get to the hospital. Hunter, I can't go to the hospital with y'all, he said. David's eyes were full of understanding. It's Jalil, isn't it? I've got to find him. He nodded his hands. Damn boy, always oh, been so headstrong. I know he thinks he's going to be out there in the streets hunting these suckers. I can't let him be running around out there alone. I'm the police chief, but I'm a daddy first. I understand, David said. Be careful. You do the same. When I find my boy, we're going to come to support you. That's a promise. They shook hands. A jarring thought struck Jackson. The idea that he was never going to see David again. Whether it was because David was going to die or he was going to die, he didn't know. He didn't voice his thought, fearful that speaking it would guarantee that it would come true. David left. Jackson looked around the office. Now, only a single candle glowed, leaving most of the room in shadow. But Jackson had spent so much time there over the years that he didn't need any light at all. This place had become more like his home than his own house. He had been notified of major events in his life while sitting right over there at his desk. His wife going into labor with their son. Jalil's first shaky steps. His father's death. His wife contracting cancer. There was a lifetime of memories here, both good and bad.
He blew out the candle. Then he left to find his son. Jalil was not about to go into battle against the bloodsuckers without some kind of bomb. When he and Polk discovered that the gas can in the garage was empty, they returned inside the house and went into the kitchen. He found plenty of flammable stuff inside the cupboards. While Polk shone the flashlight over him, he filled several beer bottles with the dangerous liquids, packed strips of towels into the bottlenecks as wicks, and secured the fuses with wire trash bag ties. Rumbles of thunder clinked the plates in the dish rack. An angry wind swatted the window. That storm's kicking ass, Polk said. When we going when we leave here? We gonna cruise around town, Jalil said. I know there's gonna be shit popping everywhere. I can feel it. Can't you? Polk wiped sweat from his face with his forearm. Yeah. That's why I'm about to piss on myself. I should have got the fuck out of Dodge when I had the chance. Carloads of niggas broke out after that meeting at the church. It was like a caravan going to a big-ass family reunion. Cowards, Jalil said. He packed a towel into the last bottle. How are you going to give up your crib and everything you have just like that? My family's been here forever, man. I ain't giving up my shit without a fight. Hey, you hear that? Poke whispered. Jalil listened. He detected a sound underneath the groaning thunder. It grew louder with each beat of his heart. Music, Jalil said. Not just any music, Polk said. That's Jacktown. I ain't got to tell you who's always bumping that shit. Nah, you sure don't, Jalil thought. His mouth was dry. He pushed a bottle towards Polk. Polk grasped it as if for dear life. Jalil picked up his shotgun off the dinette table. The music, heavy with bass, made the living room windows pulsate. Car headlights burned on the curtains. Follow me, Jalil said. He went into the living room, Pope moving close behind him. Their bodies cast huge, jerky shadows on the walls. At the front door, Jalil lifted the edge of the drape that covered the small rectangular window. A blue Oldsmobile 98 was parked across the lawn, headlamps angled towards the living room. The car's tinted windows prevented Jalil from seeing who was inside, as if there was any doubt. It's T-Bone's ride, Jalil said. After T-Bone disappeared the other night, his mother had come by Jalil's place to pick up the car. Looked like T-Bone had gotten it back. Fuck, Poke said softly. He's coming for us, man. He's coming to make us one of them vampire bastards. The bass line of T-Bone's favorite Jacktown song, Foot on Your Neck, began to boom from the car stereo. In his mind's eye, Jalil imagined T-Bone leaning in the driver's seat, a joint dangling from his fang-filled mouth, eyes red and frenzied, nodding his head to the funky rhythm. Jalil bit his tongue to hold back an outburst of lunatic laughter. What we gonna do, Jay? Poke asked. Jalil leaned against the wall. Before, he was gonna laugh. Now, he felt nauseated. We're going to go out there to get him, Jalil said. Fuck that, you crazy nigga. Either we go out there to get him, or he's coming in here to get us, Jalil said. He'll be expecting us to run and hide. We gotta make the first move. Shit. 
Polk spat on the floor. Ordinarily, Jalil would have busted him out for spitting on the carpet, but there was no time for pettiness. Alright, cool. You go first. We're going out there together. I'll lead. Damn. I'm gonna kick your ass when it's all over. I'm tired of you putting me through all this shit. Poke, we get through this and I'll be glad to let you borrow my cleats so you can kick my ass with them, Jalil said. Are you ready? Remember our plan. I'm the shooter. Get her bomber. Man, I don't know if I could take out our boy. Poke gripped the beer bottle, but his eyes were wet. He's not our boy anymore. He's a monster. He'll rip out our throats if you give him the chance. We have to move on him. All right, all right. Poke closed his eyes as if speaking a quick prayer. Then he nodded. I'm ready. Giving pep talks to Poke had the side benefit of quieting Jalil's own anxiety. If Poke had not been there for him to motivate and direct, he would have had a hell of a time dealing with this stuff. Acting as a brave leader for his boy helped him feel kind of fearless. Although he wasn't completely without fear. Before putting his hand on the doorknob, he murmured a short prayer of his own. Holding the shotgun in one hand, barrel aimed at the ceiling, he opened the door. He pressed a latch on the screen door. Cold wind smacked him in the face and snatched open the screen door. In the car, Jacktown's song played on. The porch was clear. Jalil moved across it, stepped down the concrete steps. Poke was close on his heels. Let's check out the car, Jalil said. Okay, I'll cover you from back here, Poke said. Jalil wanted Poke to stick with him, but it was obvious that just getting Poke to come outside had pushed his friend to the limit of his courage. Jalil decided to let it ride. Jalil crept across the grass, closer to the Oldsmobile. The music's earthquake bass pounded in his bones. Don't vampires have super sensitive ears, Jalil wondered. If so, how in the hell can T-Bone stand this music? He grasped the handle of the pasture side door. Pulled. The door opened with a creak, releasing the mingled odors of marijuana, stale beer, and funk. The car was empty. Is he in there? Poke said. Jalil turned to respond, and that was when he saw the shadowy shape on the roof of the house. The figure crouched, muscles bunched, as though ready to leap. Run, Poke! Jalil said. But as the words flew out of his mouth, the creature was already bouncing off the roof, as if catapulted in the air by a trampoline. It swooped to the ground and landed behind Poke, and by the time Poke heard Jalil's warning and started to dash... The vampire had already twisted his arm around his neck. Poke let out a strangled scream. The vampire used to be T-Bone, but it bore little resemblance to the kid Jalil remembered. Its braided hair was messy and full of dirt. Dried mud was caked on its face like war paint. Its eyes were bloodshot. Saliva dribbled from its lips, and glistening snot trailed from its nostrils. A big, fake platinum cross dangled from the vampire's neck, the same necklace T-Bone wore all the time. Jalil's testicles felt as though they were attracted inside of his pelvis. He had been out of his mind for leaving the police station to hunt these things. This was ten times worse than the vampiric mutts. 
Get it off me! Get it off me! Poe said in a garbled voice. Jalil raised a shotgun. But the vampire and Poke were so close together that he didn't feel confident about blasting the vamp without hurting Poke. Let go of him, T-Bone, Jalil warned, or I'm going to nail you. The vampire snorted. It jerked Poke higher in the air, lifting him up by his neck. T-Bone was several inches taller than Poke, and the height advantage allowed him to punish Poke with an excruciating stranglehold. Go ahead and shoot, you punk-ass nigga. T-Bone said in a coarse voice that sounded nothing like the kid Jalil remembered. You ain't about shit. Jalil's finger tightened on the trigger. Poke's feet kicked in the air, feebly. He was screaming, but due to the chokehold, it came out as a high-pitched whine. The veins in his neck looked ready to burst. Last warning. Let him go, Jalil said. He steadied his aim on the bloodsucker's head. I gotta drop him now, he thought. Pull the trigger, man. Glowering at Jalil defiantly, the vampire opened its mouth. Ropes of saliva coated its fangs like grotesque taffy. Shoot him! Swift to the snake, the vampire buried his teeth in the poke's neck. Jalil finally squeezed the trigger, the gun's hard recoil snapping through his arms. The spray of buckshot cleaved across the top of the beast's skull, tearing away a chunk of scalp and hair. The vampire screeched, its arm loosened from around Poke's throat. Poke slumped to the grass like a bundle of clothes. But the vampire, though wounded, was not dead. It charged Jalil, teeth bared, hissing. Frantic, Jalil pumped the shotgun for another shot, and it got stuck. Shit! He heard his dad's voice in his mind, admonishing him to oil and clean his firearms regularly to maintain their effectiveness. Now, son, gotta take care of your guns. You take care of your guns, and they'll take care of you. The vampire ripped the shotgun out of his hands. Jalil spun, and without thinking, dove into the open pasture side of the Oldsmobile. He slammed the door and mashed down the lock with his fists found the automatic lock and hit it too, engaging the locks on all four doors. The thunderous music made his teeth rattle. The bloodsucker hopped onto the hood of the car, the metal creaking under its weight. It planted itself there on its knees, drew back its fists, and punched the windshield. Jalil screamed and covered his eyes. Glass shattered, fragments sprang over his head. The vampire shoved his long arm through the jagged rupture in the window. It seized the front of Jalil's shirt. Jalil could not help thinking that the monster's dirt-smudged nails looked exactly like T-bones after a long day of basketball. He wrapped his hands around the vampire's wrists, trying to break its grip on him, but it was like trying to loosen a steel vice. The monster pushed his hand forward and closed his long fingers around Jalil's throat. Jalil gagged. The thing's fingers were so chilly, they might have been formed of ice. I'm dead. This is it. He's going to yank me out the window and suck me dry. Like a powerful robotic arm, the vampire began to draw Jalil forward. His body was too wide to fit through the hole, but he doubted that would stop the creature from forcing him through, scraped and bleeding. 
As he was lifted forward, his chest pressed against the steering wheel, activating the horn. It blared a futile warning to the uncaring night. Stars swarmed at the edges of Jalil's vision. He couldn't breathe. He was blacking out. A whoomp filled Jalil's eardrums. Then, a howl of pain. The vampire let go of him. Jalil dropped against the seat, dizzy. But he saw the vampire. It was on fire. It snatched his hand out of the window and leapt off the car, screaming, covered in flames. Jalil tried to open the door, remembered that it was locked, popped up the lock, and rolled out of the automobile. Bent over, he sucked in lungfuls of sweet air. The burning vampire stumbled to the edge of the yard and collapsed on the ground. The stench of torched flesh poisoned the air. Jalil staggered to where Poke sat on the ground, near the porch. I got that motherfucker, Poke said. The cigarette lighter lay in his hand. He blinked sleepily. You were right. He was nothing like our boy no more. He was a fucking monster, man. Gently, Jalil turned Poke's head. A bite wound burned bright red on Poke's neck, like marks seared with a branding iron. Soon, Poke would be one of them. Across the yard, the vampire lay still, gray-black smoke twisting from his corpse and rising into the stormy night sky. Taking in the loss of both of his lifelong friends, Jalil could only do one thing. He lowered his head and cried. Although his fellow patients were in haste to leave the premises, Franklin had the presence of mind to understand that he did not want to venture outside in this ridiculous gown. He opened the closet and found his regular clothes. He was grateful to find his favorite pair of khakis and a shirt. He closed the door, shutting out the commotion in the hallway. His roommate had departed with the rest of the mob. As he dressed, he admired the still, peaceful body of his wife. He had placed her on the bed after he had satiated himself on her blood. Yes, blood. Finally, he could admit the object of his hunger. He felt no shame about his craving. Not anymore. The pleasure the blood provided was too sweet, too nourishing, too fulfilling to ever engender unwelcome feelings. Easier to despise a thirst for water. He was aware of what he had become. He had metamorphosed into a blood-crazed monster that David and he, in his prior life, feared and conspired to destroy. The vampire. How easy it was to hate that which one did not understand. Such behavior was typical of the ignorant and those who allowed unfounded fear to dictate their lives. Now, he knew better. Comfortably attired in his clothes, he approached the bed. Ruby lovely as ever, floated on the tranquil waves of a perfect sleep. Bite marks blemished her neck. He had taken much of her blood, but had intuitively sensed when to cease drinking, to prevent ending her life. It was his earnest wish that she would join him in this wondrous new existence. Without her, immortality would lack meaning and purpose. He lifted her warm hand to his lips, kissed her fingers. He didn't know how long it would take for her transformation to complete. Perhaps a day. Perhaps sooner. She was safe here. 
The master would not allow harm to come to those who obeyed him. And to disobey was as unthinkable as refusing to breathe. He carefully tucked the bed sheet under his wife's chin. He kissed her cheek. Sleep well, my dear. I'll return for you soon. He left the room, fastening the door behind him. The dark corridor buzzed with activity. The Valduay, the unfamiliar but somehow fitting name, came to his mind like a memory of a dream. Raced around in a frenzy, seeking to feed on any human in the vicinity. Undisturbed, he proceeded down the hall to the exit. Upon pushing through the glass doors, two unexpected surprises greeted him. Number one, a street bicycle in good condition stood in the metal bike stall, unlocked. Number two, his old dog, Malcolm, was among a pack of hounds that had brought down a number of hapless humans. Malcolm, Franklin said. He whistled. <whistles> Tail wagging, the dog trotted to him. Franklin scratched behind the canine's ears, something he used to do all the time in his prior life, much to Malcolm's pleasure. But Malcolm did not allow himself to be struck for long. He whined, licked Franklin's fingers, and then dashed off to rejoin his pack. Franklin rolled the bicycle out of the stall. He mounted the saddle. He pedaled across the sidewalk that led to the parking lot. He passed Kyle, the master's son. Kyle stood at the end of the path. Hands clenched behind his back, viewing the action. Kyle did not look at him. Franklin understood that Kyle did not need to see him in order to sense he was near. But Franklin gave him a wide berth. Deep instinct warned him to keep his distance from vampires like Kyle. It was a bit like a child exercising caution in the company of a stern adult. However, he would obey any commands Kyle issued. The master granted his son authority over them. For the time, the Valduay were allowed to roam. Franklin pedaled across the parking lot and onto the road the front of the medical center. His leg muscles were strong, stronger than they had ever been in his prior life, even in his youth. He felt as though he soared on the wings of the gusting wind. And oh, the night. Night had never been so beautiful, so deep. So liberating. He did not have a destination in mind, but something would suggest itself soon. He was growing hungry again. David, Naya, and King were the only ones in his pathfinder. The rest of the team members had piled into other vehicles and made the five-minute drive to the hospital, where they hoped to stop the vampire's advance. David clenched the steering wheel. I know I'm being overly optimistic, but I'm hoping that Franklin is still asleep there. I don't want to have to do this to him. Although David did not say what do this to him meant, Nia did not ask for an interpretation. Both of them had been present at Jubilee when the team had destroyed the vampiric deputy in the cellar. Everything's going to be okay, David, Nia said. In spite of her reassurance, her own voice wavered. David noted that her fingernails, which had been painted and manicured when he had first met her, were bitten down in nubs. The nail polish chipped away. Even King displayed signs of stress. The dog did not move around the back seat looking out of windows as he normally did when riding. He sat ramrod straight, brown eyes watchful, ears raised. 
Wind blasted across the town, pummeling the trees and tossing debris through the air. Several trees, snapped in half like matchsticks, obstructed the roads. The street lamps were dead, and the homes they passed were dark and abandoned looking. Thunder clapped. Jagged blades of lightning split the purple-black sky. Rain had not fallen yet, but when it did, David was certain that it would come in a torrent. At the next intersection, he turned right, on the cold water lane. The hospital was less than a mile away. I'm stalling, he realized. I'm putting along at 20 miles an hour. I never drive this slowly. But God, I don't want to see Franklin. Nevertheless, he had a duty to his team. Poked behind too long and they would have to fight without him. He was supposed to be the leader. He pressed the gas pedal more firmly. Ahead, on the left side of the road, a green Taurus was parked in the driveway. David would not have paid it any attention, but the interior light was on, as though a door was open and no one was visible inside the vehicle. He slowed to take a closer look. A low growl rumbled from King. What's the matter, boy? Naya said to the dog, but her attention was riveted on the car. Feeling as though he had been cast into a slow-motion sequence in a film, David inched past the Ford, and even as he saw the spectacle on the other side of the car, he had known that this is what he would discover. A young woman in a blue dress lay on the ground beside the open pasture door, bags of spilled groceries surrounding her body. Franklin Bennett, his balding head gleaming in the light, knelt over the woman, as though giving her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, except his mouth was attached to her neck. A blue bicycle lay on the front lawn, rear wheel jutting in the air. David's jaws locked, his teeth grinding together. He had pressed the brake to the floor. Beside him, Naya had stuffed her hand in her mouth, as if holding back a scream. Keep on driving, a soft voice whispered in his head. Pretend you didn't see this. This man is your friend, your elder. You can't hurt him, and you know it. Go on, keep driving. Naya wouldn't mind either. He might have given in to the temptation to drive away, but King began to bark. Grasping the woman possessively in his arms, Franklin turned and saw them. 916-633-1537 916-633-1537 Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook uh, You can leave a review on Podchaser Copy that, paste it in the Apple Podcast Copy that, paste it in the Good Pods uh, Thank you to everybody who's been checking us out on Good Pods I greatly appreciate it You can leave a donation at Patreon.com Slash Single Simulcast Also at BuyMeACoffee.com Slash SSCast And on the Good Pods app you can uh, go to our tip jar and leave a donation there. All donations go towards buying books for Ratchet Book Club and movies for hindsight. I think that's about it. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly do appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace.
intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name, did you say?